Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast has helped me plan for my tax bill so I don't dread April every year balancing my budget for this show, and helping me financially plan for my next adventure. You can listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, I'm back. Last week took the week off. Much needed. Haven't done that in a while. And uh, holy cow, went to bed before midnight for once uh, for a whole week. I'm, I'm, I'm rested. Although I did get sick. So it was, you know, kind of good timing too. So thanks so much for your patience with the show. Uh, today's episode, I, I hate that we didn't get it out last week because it's such a good episode, but I'm glad that we gave it uh, the attention it deserved. This is Greg Morrissey. He's quickly become a, a good friend and just amazing advocate for adventure uh, with young people. You're going to hear a story about being a teacher and how he just fell in love with taking his students uh, into the mountains in the northeast of the U.S., and now all over the world through something he has started, which he now calls Mountain Goat Movement, trying to make more students, mostly boys because he was at an all-boys school, mountain goats, turn them into mountain goats, and, and, and just love the mountains, love adventure, and love uh, what it can do for character development and growth. And uh, this story is about one of their most recent adventures, starting at the absolute headwaters of the Hudson River that flows right past and right through New York City. Where that starts at an alpine lake, technically a little valley, and then down to a lake, and then down a stream, and then down to a river, and they follow it on foot or on the water itself for 390 miles, which is just wild, all the way to the Statue of Liberty. So they see a lot of change and a lot of different things through the course of that adventure. And uh, there's going to be a film coming out, I think, next year. We'll, we'll be sure to share that when it comes out. But Greg, thanks so much for the work you do, you know, inspiring the next generation to be adventurers. If you, if you want to support Mountain Goat, uh, Greg lists a lot of their needs at the end. Uh, please go to the show notes. There's their website. Support them. Greg is doing this, working his tail off. I've seen it firsthand uh, since doing this interview and getting to know him a little bit more. It's unbelievable the amount of work he can do and the amount of amazing things he's trying to get done and how much more he could do with more support. So uh, please support him in the movement. Whatever you're doing for this end of the year time, get someone outside, do something adventurous. It doesn't take much to have a lasting, unforgettable memory that changes people. Uh, just bring others with you and, and go make it happen. Let's dive in. 
Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today, uh, we're talking to Greg Morrissey. Greg, is that how you say your last name? I actually didn't ask beforehand, but uh, yeah. I just sound Yes, sir. Out. Morrissey like the singer. More, I, I, you've said that a time or two. Morrissey <laughs> like the singer. <laughs> well, how are you doing? <laughs> Great, Mason. How are you doing today? Good, good. Where, where are you coming from and where, where's home for you? So I'm calling from home in northern New Jersey. I'm in Essex County, a town called Milburn, about an hour south of New York City um, and about an hour north of the Jersey Shore. Would you say that that's an adventure hub or in a, a known for adventurers? It is certainly not known <laughs> for adventurers. <laughs> um, however, however, folks who haven't visited New Jersey uh, would be surprised to know that you can find a great deal of adventure um, in the New Jersey and larger metropolitan area. Um, and one of the projects that I'm sure we'll get into at some point is um, we just completed a human-powered adventure of the entire Hudson River, which was incredible in, in so many ways, but also another experience that I've had in this, in this area where I've, I've come to discover just how much adventure can be had um, in the greater metropolitan area. Gosh, man, that is awesome. Well, well, I want to set this up because I, uh, you know, like I knew New Jersey isn't really known, but dude, y'all have a lot of black bears, a lot of bears uh, that I've, yeah, it's a, been a, an interesting story I've seen recently, like the most human and bear interactions per capita to anywhere in the country, I think I heard recently. And also, I just want to say, I have been on a lot of hikes all over the country this year and just from different, you know, traveling for work and taking a small hike here or going on vacation to go hike. And my favorite, absolute favorite hike of the whole year was in rural New Jersey. And people find that, and I, I've been to California hiking. I've been to the, the Rockies, Rocky Mountain National Park, all the way. Um, I was in Yosemite last year. And dude, for the last year, my favorite hike was New Jersey. People find that hard wow. to believe. Wow. Well, well, that's great to hear, Mason. <laughs> where, where did you go? Man, that, that's actually a good question. <laughs> I'm looking at the map right now because I'm trying to find it. It was, I was driving from New York to Philadelphia, and I just w took some back roads because I didn't want to, I had some time. So I just went all through all these little small towns, and I pulled over at this little tiny conservation area and went for a hike, and man, for like three hours, I had this whole place, this river, these waterfalls, these rock faces, completely to myself, and it was so unexpected, and I think that what was the cool thing is I didn't expect much, and it blew that out of the water, and I think just that kind of surprise is what made it so memorable, and I just want to say, like, this show is all about featuring folks that are so adventurous that not from the places that you always think. So it's awesome to have you on the show and talking about this kind of stuff. Man, it's, it's great to hear. Yes. I'm certainly honored to be on this show. Um, I've listened to this podcast for quite some time now and, you know, it's interesting coming off the heels of Graham Zimmerman um, and, and the worlds where you have these adventurers who live in these places where adventure is, definitive of those particular regions and areas and New Jersey of course as you alluded to is, is often an afterthought in that world so hopefully I can do New Jersey and the larger metropolitan area some justice in terms of some of the projects um, that we've done out here 
what was your story of getting into this world? Because, you know, if you're not from a place that's just ingrained in culture, how did you discover it? How did you get into it yourself? Sure. So I, you know, I was very fortunate to grow up um, with parents who really had a deep love of nature and travel. And so oftentimes weekends growing up, we're going to visit a lot of places in the larger New Jersey area for weekend hikes, surfing down the Jersey shore. Uh, there's great climbing up in the Catskills and the Gunks, which I'm sure so many folks are aware of. And that's only a, you know, an hour and a half, two hour drive from where I grew up. And I was also very active with Boy Scouts my entire life. A story in particular that kind of really launched my love into adventure in the great outdoors was when I was going into my freshman year of high school. I had the great opportunity to go with my scout troop and my dad to Philmont, New Mexico, which is kind of like the Mecca for trekking um, for the Boy Scouts. That, you know, two-week trek, uh, primarily in the backcountry, inspired a love, a never-ending love of the outdoors, nature, working with a team across a challenging project. And it's funny now that I'm in my 30s and I look back on my life and I think about how important um, the outdoors, adventure, and education um, are for me. I, I think back to that moment. Um, and I think that trip beyond the beauty of being in New Mexico and beyond the the love of just, you know, hiking and backpacking, it really forged some of the most important relationships in my life. And so I think for me, what has become so important is going out, doing these adventures, and then uh, connecting with folks in really meaningful, substantial ways. And it all started with two weeks out in the desert. Just that had to be so mind-blowing at that age to see that and that's a long experience at that age too yeah it was it was unbelievable you know and of course my dad now who was a part of that trip he's in his late 60s and man we talk about that trip every month oh that's so cool and that's that's the power that the outdoors have um is you know we can go out we can do something simply out of curiosity go to a place where we've never been experience it fully engage with it and along the way, we cultivate these relationships that are lifelong. Wow. You know, that something that yeah, I've probably not mentioned enough on this show, but when my best friend and I decided to do our first adventure, one of the things that really sold us on the idea was the, op like the idea of we can talk about this the rest of our lives. And I don't know what it was about that, but we were like, oh my gosh, this could be that important of a thing for our, for us, for our relationship, for our development. And, you know, we're kids at the time, well, we're in college, but you know, we're, we're kids. And he's like, man, if we do this, this plan, we can talk about this forever. And that has been so true. It's like every time we're together, we're talking about it. And that's the power too of adventure. It's so different from your normal life that it just forces you to forces you to grow because none of it's in your comfort zone and it won't be your comfort zone for a while. Um, man, that's so cool to hear that you and your dad still talk about that every month. The power hey, of amen. adventure. Amen. Amen. You nailed it. So th this maybe seems like, you know, forgive me for maybe jumping the gun here, but this seems like maybe that experience is what kind of encouraged the whole idea of mountain goat movement where you're taking a lot of kids on adventures and, and young people to have these, you know, really unique experiences in their life. Like, it sounds like 
well, I've that that happened to me. Surely, it's going to happen to anyone else I take. Mm. Yes, uh, you know that really was the launching point, and then I think what kind of solidified the idea for Mountain Goat Movement um, was years later. I taught at an all boys high school in Jersey City, New Jersey. You know, probably the last place you think of the outdoors, Jersey City. Um, is on the Hudson River directly across from World Trade. And so, you know, I taught high school literature. Um, so I've always had this deep love for storytelling. And, you know, Mason, you can obviously resonate with this and your listeners, but some of the greatest stories of all time are, are rooted in the exploration and adventure community. And so I taught high school literature. I spent my summers as a teacher trying to do human powered adventures on a, on a teacher's budget and trying to find creative ways um, to experience the great outdoors while simultaneously bringing that love to this school in Jersey city where the outdoors were, you know, are often an afterthought. And so for the better part of a decade, what started out as kind of an adventure club, uh, a gathering of 10 students just kind of going out, to the Poconos, the Catskills, the Jersey Shore, doing all these local trips, evolved into um, a really strong outdoor education program where I started bringing guys on trips all over the world um, and participating in different types of adventures. Um, That experience allowed me to connect with great communities like the Explorers Club, the American Alpine Club, a few different outdoor brands. Um, And so I began to kind of form bridges between the life of a student and the life of an explorer. Um, And that whole system, that structure allowed me to create mountain goat movement, whereby now work um, with various high schools, colleges, and um, young adults. Now now tell me a little bit about how it got started. Cause I feel for a lot of people that have an idea like this or a passion that is a little different than their day job. They want to start doing something, but don't know how or when. What What did starting this as a teacher look like? I'm married to a teacher who is also <laughs> so very ambitious about other things. So I'm always, you know, very fascinated. And, and my, me personally, you know, I do this show on the side. You know, I have a day job. How did you get started and what was kind of that reception early on? So like you, I have a love of, uh, bike packing. Um, and in 2017, with a colleague and another English teacher, we cycled from uh, Vancouver, Canada to Tijuana, Mexico. And it was awesome in the sense that it was, you know, a fun trip for us to do as a 30 day journey. But to make it more impactful and meaningful, we kind of used that trip as an opportunity to spread the word on the importance of outdoor education and experiential learning for young people. So we were fortunate enough to receive um, sponsorship from brands like Cavu and Cliff Bar. Um, and it was on that journey that we were able to raise about $40,000 um, for a scholarship fund that went on to support 15 low-income students to participate on various adventures with me all over the world. Wow. I think that experience in 2017 kind of um, lit a fire in me in the sense of like, you know, I could go out and do these awesome personal expeditions and adventures, but what is immensely life-giving is then um, giving that back to the community, giving that back to my students. Um, And so for the next few years, I tried to creatively think of ways as to how I could make this um, an organization, a community, a community of life lovers and adventurers and student explorers 
that could flourish beyond just Jersey City. So I left my uh, full-time teaching career a little more than a year ago. And now I'm full on with Mountain Goat Movement. This is totally bootstrapped. Put zero capital into building this. Um, the only upfront expense was the, the cheapest version of Squarespace to kind of get the word out. Every day is a new challenge. Some days it feels like I'm, I'm moving in a movable wall. But because of the great larger adventure community and folks like yourself, I've been able to build something that's meaningful and extends beyond any individual. So, you know, on a, on a personal note, the one-man team, it's been very difficult. But the support from the community, from educators, explorers, um, organizations like the AAC, the Explorers Club, different school partners have been able to put something into existence that certainly didn't exist, at least in our greater metropolitan area. Well, tell us about some of those early mountain goat movement experiences when you were a teacher and you took some of these kids, where were you going? What were you doing? And what, what made you realize that this was so impactful for them? Were they telling you this? Did you see the change in them as students? Like, what was it? Sure. So, you know, it was very interesting because I worked with and continue to work with students of all different types of backgrounds. Some of them at 16, 17, have never seen a mountain before. Others have spent their entire, you know, childhood lives traveling with, with uh, family all over the world. So the range is quite extreme. I've worked with guys who've never skied before. And one of our students is going to become a professional skier at some point in the next couple of years. So the range is, is pretty incredible. I would say, you know, one story that comes to mind that I feel like is pretty representative of the mission of Mountain Goat is I worked with a young man who came to prep um, as a freshman and we went up to the Adirondacks, which is the largest protected park in the lower 48 and a park that is, you know, only four and a half hours north of Jersey City. But so many folks in the Jersey City, New York City area don't realize just how expansive of an area the Adirondacks are. So per tradition, I bring students up Mount Marcy, which is the highest point in New York. We do this uh, two to four times per year in all different seasons. For this young man, this 14-year-old, we went up to the Adirondacks with a group. It was his first hike ever, and he hated it. And oh, yeah. we got caught. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Like, we got caught in some weather that day. We had to pull out the micro spikes. You know, there was a lot of ice. It was very cold. Certainly a, a very challenging first hike. And he, he hated it. You know, he was in the back of the pack. He didn't like being in the back. But you know, at some point, many of us catch the bug. And it wasn't until a couple weeks later uh, that this young man um, approached me and said that he wants to do it again. And so that first uh, trail, which was certainly difficult, ultimately launched a love of the outdoors for him. Fast forward a couple years after doing some different hiking trips, um, going into his senior year, I brought a group of students uh, up Kilimanjaro. And he summited Kilimanjaro before graduating high school. And now as a high school graduate, uh, he's our lead student ambassador with Mountain Goat Movement. And he's putting together um, these incredible trips that, that all stem from curiosity and now a love of the, the great outdoors. I mean, that's all you could hope for, you know. Yes. It, it, from the effect that these trips are having. I mean, that's, that's what's so cool is these aren't just, you know, I mean, it's nothing 
wrong. This is this type of stuff I do is really small local stuff. But you're you're like climbing Kilimanjaro. You're surfing around the world. You're going to like Machu Picchu, and I think there's one coming up, Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that is we. <laughs> that is like the farthest stretches reaches of the of the planet we live on, man. That's ridiculous. It's it's pretty wild. Um, I, our new tagline is, you know, uh, we'll adventure anywhere between it, the Adirondacks to Antarctica. And so much of this stems from just student curiosity. Like this Antarctica trip came to be because, um, you know, a 14 year old, 15 year old at the time came up to me and he was like, man, I would love to go to Antarctica. And now all these years later, you know, we solidified permits. We found a great local tour operator that works with students and we found a tour operator that doesn't want to just, you know, be on a boat and, and tour the landmass. Like we're going to actually be on the landmass. We're going to camp. We're going to snowshoe. We're going to cross-country ski. We're going to experience all of the beauty and wonder of Antarctica while also doing a scientific project. And for this trip in particular, we're going to work with a few data scientists and try to identify traces of the Hudson River, our own backyard that can be found in Antarctica. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at landroverusa.com forward slash defender shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell anything online at every stage of your business from the launch your online store stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million dollars in revenue stage shopify is there to help you grow whether you're a podcaster trying to sell merch or selling autographed sports memorabilia, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one commerce platform to their personal POS system. Shopify has got you covered. Now, I do use Shopify with my day job. That's our website, and that's our platform. It's so handy. It makes it easy for us on the back end. It makes it easy for you as a shopper and as a customer to sell more. And they can help you all the way from those early, early days until you're a real business, making real money. And that's what I love about them. No matter how big you want to grow, they can grow with you and help you take control your business to get it to that next level sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash asp all lowercase again go to shopify.com slash asp to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash asp 
That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Oh my gosh, that is wild. So cool. Well, well, speaking of the Hudson River, t- talk to us about this source to see educational expedition of the length of the Hudson River. Where, where did that idea come from? It had to be while you were teaching in Jersey City, looking at this river every day, thinking like, I don't know, let's start at the beginning and come all the way down here. Go from the unfamiliar to the familiar. What, what was that idea? <laughs> Sounds great. Um, so I think all great ideas just stem from curiosity. And when I taught high school literature, I began every class with what's called a curiosity moment where for 10 minutes at the start of the class, we just looked at something that students were curious about. And oftentimes it had nothing to do with, with literature. And so when I, worked, when I taught in Jersey City, you know, the Hudson River was four blocks away. So my morning hike, instead of waking up in the Rockies and going for a hike and then beginning my, my day, my morning quote unquote hike to speak was walking to uh, the river's edge, walk into Hoboken, back to Jersey City. And that's how I started every day, looking at the river every single day. And so I brought a group of students. This was about two years ago. Um, I brought a group of students up to the Adirondacks for you know a weekend of hiking. And uh, we connected with a guy named Dr. Joseph Dady, who is the executive director for an organization called Hamlets to Huts. And Hamlets to Huts provides... Um, backcountry huts and resources for folks to experience the outdoors if they're unable to camp. So Dr. Dady and I were just sitting on his back porch and we started thinking about, you know, all the different types of adventures that folks can have in the larger New York, New Jersey area. Me being from Jersey City, Dr. Dady uh, living in Saranac Lake, New York, up by the source point of the Hudson River, decided that, you know, perhaps the ultimate adventure could be a human power traverse of the Hudson while also in that, uh, analyzing the health of the river. So that the idea for this Hudson River Source to Sea project, um, Mount Marcy to Manhattan, Lake Tier to Lady Liberty, all originated through a conversation on a back deck. And, you know, fast forward about a year and a half later and a serious deep dive into the logistics behind this project uh, we successfully this past summer brought eight high school students from all over the country, many of whom were strangers, on a 400-mile journey in which we um, completed a multi-sport adventure of the Hudson River, which also included a project uh, with data scientist Dr. Tim Keyes, um, who's a professor out of Wake Forest and Sacred Heart. And we collected 50 samples of the Hudson River in which we looked at um, chloride and microplastic levels the students produced a scientific paper about our project and which as an adventure, I'm really excited about this is we produced um, an adventure guidebook to the Hudson river. Oh, wow. Dang. The amount of work that came out of this. Unbelievable. Well, all right. So, so what does a human powered traverse of the Hudson river entail? Like you're going way up in the Adirondack mountains to a lake and I mean, how how wild of a river this is, is this? Is this like tons of rapids? Like, what are you dealing with? And what's like the logistics there? The aspects of the river are constantly changing. So we started the trip by hiking up and over Mount Marcy, uh, the tallest point in New York. On the backside of Mount Marcy is Lake Tier of the Clouds. 
Lake Tier of the Clouds technically is the source point for the Hudson River. That first day of this trip proved to be very difficult. So we also had a film crew of four from Colorado join us for this journey. And that was led by uh, John Barnhart, who is an Emmy-winning filmmaker. He has a great show on PBS called Born to Explore, which I'm sure many folks listen to this podcast. I I struggle out. John is kind of the perfect guy for Mountain Goat because Mountain Goat functions in this space of education and exploration. So I kind of digress, but John and his team were with us. And, you know, anytime you have a film team on a project, it adds like another element and, and some serious time. So our first day of this expedition, this 15 day expedition, we went up and over Mount Marcy, got to Lake Tier, and then our plan was to get to the next camp. Well, what was supposed to on paper be a 14 hour hike turned into uh, a 22 hour endeavor for our students the first day. <laughs> um, so uh, Dr. Dady led the students out to camp around three o'clock in the morning um, off trail. They got in, I don't even know what time. Um, and I stayed back with the film team and the film team and I had to cowboy camp um, because we, there was no chance of us making it out to the next camp. So we cowboy camped, we spent the night um, in the bush and then uh, we left the next morning. So that was the first day of this trip. And, you know, all great expeditions and adventures on paper look one way. And then the reality can be something completely different. Mm-hmm. So, and mind you that first day, like we had eight high school students, um, six of whom had never met each other. These were guys from all over the country. Four were Eagle Scouts and very well versed in adventure and nature and so on and so forth. And the other four uh, were not. And so it was a beautiful collaboration between the experienced and the inexperienced. What kind of motivated um, us throughout this journey was that first day. It was like, all right, these are eight kids who don't know each other, various, very different experiences. And yet they were able to complete our first day. We were hopeful for the rest of the trip. So the day started with a hike. Um, I mean, sorry, the, the expedition started with a hike and then our, our goal was to go from Lake Tier to Albany while remaining on the, on the water. So during that time, we kayaked. Can you we kayak canoed. straight from the lake? It looks like a t- tiny little waterway. Um, you can't. So you have to kind of drop your kayak in, you know, a, basically a few miles out. There's a, a confluence of rivers where the Hudson River really begins and where it's appropriate for folks to begin, you know, a paddling portion. So Lake Tier, um, it's kind of like a large pond. So we, you know, we tested our first water sample was in Lake Tier. Um, and of course, like that's basically the cleanest that the water will be. We didn't put in our kayaks until, you know, this would have been July 18th, that second day um, at another point where it's, it's actually safe and, and rideable. So we kayaked, we canoed, we whitewater rafted, and we even tubed. Um, which is kind of bizarre to say we had inner tubes for a section of the river all the way to Albany, New York, uh, the Troy area. Um, And during that time, like, you know, we encountered every different type of condition on the, on the, on the Hudson river. There are class three, class four rapids, you know, which, which not many folks know about. And and it surprised me as well to discover that, but, but we basically made our way via river 
to the Troy, Albany area. And then once we got to Troy and Albany, we switched to bikes and we cycled from Troy, Albany area to uh, Edgewater, New Jersey. And then, so we went over the GW bridge uh, over bikes, which was awesome. And then from Edgewater to Jersey City, um, right around the Statue of Liberty, we kayaked those final uh, 10 to 12 miles. Um, so the expedition in total took 15 days. The Hudson River itself is 315 miles long, um, but the way in which we did it, it, it took us about 390 miles to complete this journey. It seems like some pretty rugged and remote territory up there at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, how, how are the boys? No, I don't know if it was all boys. Uh, how are they? How is everybody doing? Yeah, it was actually a group of all boys. Um, man, I so having led groups for the last 10 plus years, um, I, you know, I've never been more impressed with a group of students. Most days were upwards of 16 hours long, just in like moving and getting through a day. And we had an amazing group who chose to be positive every step of the way. We had one student in particular, a rising senior from Jersey City, who had never done anything like this before, who kind of led us in song for 15 days. <laughs> and um, it was really funny, like as a, as a Jersey guy, he knew the words to almost every Jersey boys song. And so for, as we got cr closer to the Troy Albany area, you know, I, I think we, he sang at least one of the Jersey boy albums um, in its entirety to Jersey city. So we, you know, like we were very fortunate to have a great group of kids, like for this trip in particular, um, we made it application based. And so, you know, we kind of had a sense going into this trip that, you know, some guys have experience, others do not, but what should unify them is their ability to persevere, to be gritty, to be positive, be all the things that you'd want in a team member, especially um, for an expedition like this, where, you know, even the guides, like we had more adults than kids on this trip and we, you know, um, worked with local operators on the river. But even then, like none of us had ever done the, the entire Hudson River before. Mm -hmm. And so this was new for us um, in the same way that it was new for these students. What did you notice changing about the closer you got to New York? I mean, that's just you can't get farther apart from like an alpine lake in New York City and that whole area of the Hudson. But what were you noticing, like, with all that in between? Did it feel like a gradual kind of urbanization of the river? Or did it feel, you know, was there a surprising amount of nature still still as you even got closer and closer to New York and New Jersey? That's a great way to put it. It was certainly, like, to your point, it was a, it was a, it was a gradual urbanization that we experienced. I was blown away by the remoteness of aspects of the Northern Hudson River. I mean, there was one day in particular where it, it really felt like we were out West. It did not feel like we were in New York. Um, and the Northern ports of the river, we, we saw at least three to four bald eagles. There were sections where we didn't encounter anyone. And then, you know, I was like, of course, you know, like, as you can assume, like as we made our way towards Troy, Albany, like really the halfway point of the trip where, you know, you have a full-on city with Troy and Albany. You can imagine that, like, it felt unbelievably urban and was kind of a culture shock. But what really surprised me was cycling from Brewster, New York, to through the Bronx, 
um, on the Empire State Trail. And this is, you know, this whole area is considered one of the most densely populated regions in the entire country. And yet we were still able to find and discover areas that, that felt like we were fully in nature, that we had it to ourselves. And that was probably one of the biggest takeaways for me um, as, a, as a Jersey guy um, and also for the Jersey students is like, you know, we have trails up here where you could be 10 miles from New York City. And yet you could also be in nature where it feels like you might as well be 100 miles away from New York City. And it kind of re like I've always been, you know, a fairly wanderless person. Like I, you know, historically, I think of the next adventure as going to a place like Antarctica or, or New Zealand or, you know, going to these places on the far reaches of the world. And it sounds cliche, but this trip for, for me really solidified the idea of like finding backyard adventures that are meaningful. And there are, you know, this, this trip ended in, in August and now that we're in October, like it has certainly launched a curiosity in me to discover more things that are, are accessible. The other surprise for me was the night before our, our expedition, we presented um, at Arcteryx New York at their flagship store, who's a, who's a partner to Mountain Goat. Um, and, and a number of folks came out. And, you know, that presentation, um, Dr. Keyes, Dr. Dady, um, and I all presented on uh, you know, single day adventures that folks could have in the greater New York region. And this is a group of folks who are already inclined to the outdoors. You know, they, they want outdoor equipment, like they're familiar with the mission of Arcteryx. So these are folks who want to experience the outdoors and have experiences doing this. And even some of these folks were like amazed by these, these hidden gems in New York that, that most people never go out and discover. So I think one of the one of the goals for Mountain Goat for the next few years ahead is to really get folks outside, like not just students, but get folks outside in the New York, New Jersey area and discover these these hidden gems and go out and do some meaningful projects. There's a group out here that I learned while kind of planning this Hudson River expedition um, called the Billion uh, the Billion Oyster Project. Um, and they're basically uh, planting oysters um, across the Hudson River and bringing more biodiversity and life to the Hudson River. And in speaking with a number of scientists, a lot of folks think that the Hudson River is cleaner now than it was 10 to 15 years ago. Um, so it's really great to see that, you know, people in these urban environments are getting out and and they're they're finding ways to en enhance the natural resources that although hidden are abundant around us. One of the effects of adventure is, you know, see, seeing a place that you think you're familiar with in a new way. And once you start to realize there are those perspectives that you have never seen in a place that you might even have called home your whole life, uh, it starts to open up a new world and it almost gives you eyes to see more places like that and you start to realize oh my gosh there's a, an infinite amount of hidden gems and if you're saying that about where you are and like you said one of the most densely populated places in the world uh that's pretty encouraging for everybody that's not in one of the most densely populated places in the world like myself like yeah florida's dense but 
man, you can find some amazing places and spots that you just had no idea existed that aren't on any lists. You just have to start to develop those eyes to see it. You know what I'm saying? Yes, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, um, I, I've always kind of felt like an outsider in this area because I love the outdoors so much. And like, you know, my, my friends will always joke, you know, you, you should live in Colorado. You should, you know, live in Wyoming. Like you should live in these places where there's a significant community around this. And there's always this potential to go out. And for me, like, you know, I've always kind of stayed in this area because of my family and over the last 10 years, like, you know, that's really prompted me and inspired me to go out and, and like find these places. Like, I think that there's an incorrect narrative that that exploration is dead. Like we've gone out and we've seen all these places like I, you know, I don't think that could be farther from the truth. I feel like there are so many places and projects that have never been done before. And if we can do this in a densely urban environment, like I, like Alaska, Alaska is never ending. Oh, <laughs> you know, like yeah. we, we think of these places as like, well, people have been there. It's like, yeah, maybe people have been there, but there is so much to discover. To discover. It's absolutely endless. Um, and it all stems from curiosity. It's a little frustrating how much there is to do and see <laughs> and the time we have. You know, man, I, we could talk about this endlessly because it is something that I, I really try to advocate for on this show is you don't, you have not seen everything there is to see where you are. And people feel, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more almost ingrained in the place I am, I want to continue to be. Uh, and not only that, but I go back to the same spot. Uh, I love paddle boarding and I go out by my house just a couple miles away. I don't see, the, I see new animals every time I go out. I'm looking in the water and I'm like, holy crap, a whole family of manatees or this shark I've never seen here or this dolphin or and I'm just like every time is something new the weather's different the tide's different even going back to the same exact place is a completely new experience so once you throw that variable in there is newness all the dang time not including the actual new places to go yes no absolutely like yeah, I mean, for this Hudson River trip, you know, as we were making our way towards Jersey City, the Hudson River and the Atlantic meet. And um, there's a spot in particular under the George Washington Bridge where the current is like crazy. It's 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 pretty chaotic. And I had, you know, I, would, I was leading the group with with Dr. Dady and Dr. Keys, and I had a walkie-talkie. And we kind of had like a, a base camp guy who was on the shore, and he was just kind of communicating to us about incoming oil tankers and like all the boat traffic. And it was funny, like this guy, Kevin Murray, who runs a, a kayaking spot and paddleboarding spot in Jersey city, as we were coming under the George Washington bridge, he was like, Hey, Greg, just be mindful. There could be some whales underneath you. And, you know, like in, in the back of your mind, like, you know, that there are whales and sharks in the Atlantic and you know that they're off the coast of New Jersey and New York, but to hear that while you're in it, it's amazing. And like these whales, like they come up the Atlantic and then they get to the, the Hudson River. And, you know, of course, they have the intelligence to then turn around and go back out. And you're just like, this is happening while the world trade is like a mile away from us. It's, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing that these worlds all overlap like this and happen 
within each other. That is so cool, man. And, and like once you get people looking at that perspective, you start seeing it everywhere. Like the from migratory birds to the way the plants uh, are um, thriving in certain areas. It's it's just so cool how nature persists and nature will find a way. Life finds a way, and so. It sounds like that was a pretty cool realization. W- w- was there anything cool that the any of the students shared that really stuck out to you about the experience? I think one of the reasons, you know, the classroom is is a great place to learn, but it also has limitations. And I think perhaps the greatest value of like working with young people outside and even adults, and we learn we we relearn this every time we go out. Is to your point, like nature always prevails, and so there's no arguing with nature, right? There's no, you know, when you're in the classroom, there are grades A through F and there's always the potential to chat with a teacher. What, what happened here? Can I retake this test? Can I do this? So on and so forth. There's sometimes ambiguity in, you know, grading Um, or, you know, there's, there's a multiple of reasons why a student in a classroom could not fully grasp a concept but it's not like a pass-fail scenario, at least at the higher level in high school and college. But when you go out in the natural world and you do something challenging and life-giving, it's like a pass-fail scenario. And so for us, like there were days where, you know, perhaps someone was ill-prepared, you know, you know, on a day of rain, like perhaps someone didn't have the right rain jacket. And it's like, okay, that's, you know, there's nothing we can do. Like we've started this, you left your rain jacket behind you know, we just have to prevail. We have to find a solution. You know, for us, like one of the nights where we had to cowboy camp, it's like, we didn't have access to a tent. We didn't have access to uh, any lodging. So we had to make a small fire and cuddle around this fire and use like emergency blankets. And so I think what was great, what unified all of us, um, regardless of experience is that whenever you go out and you do these difficult projects or even something as, as, as what might seem simple and ordinary as, as a day hike can turn south at any moment. And nature always wins. Like there's no arguing with nature. You can argue with a teacher. You could complain about a grade. But when you go out in the natural world, you have to be prepared. Um, and even when you're prepared, things can still go south. And there's always so much to learn from something like that. And I feel like it's Nature is the greatest teacher. Like we can go out and we can have these epic life-giving experiences. But at the end of the day, like you're at the whim of the natural world and you have to somehow figure it out. And so for us, like that moment happened every single day on the Hudson River trip. There was always something that happened and we had to fix it. We had to find solutions. Tell us a story about that. And I want to hear a story. Sure. So let's see. Okay. On paper, we were supposed to do uh, 60 miles. We were cycling down the Empire State Trail. And this was, you know, July. There was a lot of construction going on. And so there were multiple times where we had to be diverted to street, to sidewalks. Like there were times where we weren't on the trail. And so, you know, we set out for a 60-mile day, which in our minds was like, all right, with the film team, with um, we had a couple support vehicles, um, to ensure the safety of the kids so we could pull guys if they ever needed support. Um, but we were like, this should be, you know, a seven, eight hour day. Like it's very straightforward, good to go. And of course, like that never happens. 
And so what was supposed to be a seven, eight hour day turned into like an 18 hour long day. And, you know, we encountered rain. We encountered a little bit of hail that day. We had to go around numerous construction sites. It became a very frustrating day. And there was a moment where, you know, the kids were kind of saying like, this is ridiculous. Like, can we hop in the passenger van and, and call it? And there were a couple guys, you know, my, my, mind you, like these are 16 to 18 year old kids. And there were a couple guys who kind of took initiative and they were like, Hey guys, let's see if we can go another half hour. So then we'd go another half hour. Let's see if we can do another half hour. And all of a sudden, I mean, what was supposed to be an eight hour day turns into a 16 hour day. And by the end of that, you know, that day, like the kids came, we, um, we, we did a mix of like camping and staying in lodges just because the, the touch points for the river are pretty convoluted. So when we got south of Troy, we did a lot of lodging. Um, and these guys pulled into, we were staying at a church that night. They pulled into a church, completely whomped. They, we didn't have enough food. So these kids were famished. They were completely worn out from the multiple days prior. And yet they found a way. And it came down to optimism. It came down to optimism and that rallied the group. And on these expeditions, like there's always that point, there's always that breaking point where you have a choice to make. It's like, do I bail or do I kind of work through the elements and the challenges and the obstacles that are right in front of me? And these kids, because that's their kids, these young men chose to work through the obstacles, which is kind of incredible when you think about it. Because, you know, one of the conversations right now across schools and and education is like, are we providing environments for our kids to be gritty and self-sufficient in a world where everything is accessible? And for these guys, having grown up in that world, to choose the route that is difficult, that's challenging, where they have to figure it out, not knowing if they would be successful, like kind of amazes me. And so, you know, that is a a good example. Um, But this happened this happened across every single day and you know there was one day we were like downpour rain where it was too unsafe to continue on and so we decided to throw everyone in a van go to our place of lodging and reassess and we asked the guys we have two choices we can either continue our ride from our place of lodging um, or we have to drive you know, 15 miles back from our place of lodging to cycle where we left off. And all of these guys agreed to take the van the next morning, drive back the 15 miles. We had to hide our bikes underneath a bridge. So we locked up bikes underneath a bridge, went to the bridge, unlocked the bikes. And then these guys cycled the 15 miles plus the rest of the miles that we were, that we had planned to do. So they chose to do this in a, in a genuine way. There were no shortcuts. And that for them and for me uh, was one of the greatest lessons of this trip is like, you know, well, if young people have the desire and capacity to not take shortcuts, um, why, why would we ever do that as adults? And, uh, you know, hopefully even more so now that they've returned to school, they can reflect on those moments um, to enable them to get through the day to day. It's what's exciting about this is, you know, seeing those values, played out in real time like that obviously is amazing for the moment but the seeds that are planted and blossoming and just um the the skills that they're building is just incredible so you know 
don't be surprised in a few years watching their stories unfold and, and, and seeing them kind of reflect back on that big adventure, probably the biggest adventure in a lot of their lives. So to date, uh, being a major pivotal and turning point in their life. And you were part of that. That is so cool. It's really great. And um, it's been interesting because like, you know, when I, when I taught in Jersey city and started doing these projects, some of those uh, young men are now in their early to mid twenties. And uh, this past spring, one of my guys, uh, when he was in high school, he's now, he's now 24, but when he was in high school, um, his family suffered a house fire. And he had really wanted to join us on a Salkante trek to Machu Picchu. Um, and so we were able to fundraise, get him on that trip. And then I was able to fundraise to get him on another trip, a backpacking trip in Yellowstone. And this was a guy who was dealing with a lot of adversity at home. And, um, you know, he also wasn't too familiar with the outdoors. Well, those two trips, like fast forward years later, he, he goes through college. He's now graduated college. Um, he sees the importance of that, of going out, having an epic adventure. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we talk about is like adventure allows us to shoulder the burdens of life. Like there are so many annoyances and frustrations that come up on an adventure. And, you know, there's obviously some element of suffering involved. And so I think what I kind of position to the guys is like, you know, the more you adventure, the better, the more able you are to be flexible, handle adversity, the more able and ready you are to shoulder the burdens of life uh, with dignity. And so fast forward, um, this young man, uh, he and I uh, got to present at the American Alpine Club's annual dinner in uh, New York City, um, where Al Gore was the opening speaker. And uh, this young man kind of shared his story from high school and, and doing these these mini expeditions, these, these mini adventures and how they've now shaped him as a person in his twenties. And I was even shocked to learn about some of the ways that he's changed through his love of adventure in the outdoors. Um, and this is someone who has shouldered a lot in life and he's able to do it with a smile and he's able to do it with positivity and dignity because to his point, it's all about going outside, doing something challenging and life-giving learning something, and then taking that with you the rest of your life. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com. 
rodeosportsbook.com forward slash defender. Rodeo season is going to be kicking off soon. And, you know, I, I like the rodeo. I like going to the rodeo. I like going to cattle auctions and all sorts of those activities. And I want to look the part while I'm there. I love Tecovis as my go-to boots company. And if you've ever been in one of their stores, it's an amazing experience. Their motto is don't go gently. They are my favorite cowboy boot. And they bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. And they carry forward all those time-honored traditions and quality you will find in a great pair of cowboy boots but they're innovative on comfort style and service they have western boots for men and women and are handmade from the most premium leather and follow over 200 time-honored individual steps in their boot making process pretty cool they're austin designed texas tested and handmade And if you want to go to one of their stores, it is an amazing experience. They take customer service to a whole new level. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. And as a special opportunity just for you listeners, Tecovis is going to throw in their best-selling trucker hats or a ball cap for free into any purchase over $100 at tecovis.com. Just use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Again, that's Tecovis, T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com, and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to add a free hat to your order over $100. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. You can't ask for more than that with the work you're doing. That's the goal. That's the aim. Yes. Why do you think you do this? Because a lot of people just love adventure. A lot of people you know, are satisfied with doing their trips. Why, what do you think it is about you that makes you want to instill it in, in the next generation? I think, I think, I, I, I think that life is a gift. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, you, you said before Mason, like there's so much to explore. It's almost overwhelming. There's so much to do. It's overwhelming. And, and, you know, life is so short, you know, it's like we have a choice every single morning as to whether we want to embrace the day for all of its challenges and joys or hide from them. And I think adventure in the natural world inspires us to embrace all that life has to offer. And right now we live in in a pretty important time and crucial time where, uh, you know, young people and perhaps adults included feel like, you know, we live in a society where there are fractured communities where we're so connected, but also so distant from each other, where the temptations to live online are ever present. And yet people, I feel like even young people are so inspired to find meaning and substance in the day to day and going outside and building relationships in the outdoors and experiencing the world for all of its beauty allows us to be perhaps more in reality than what we might find online. I think it's that positive, contagious energy that we can cultivate with one another through these experiences that allow us to experience life to the fullest. And, you know, for me personally, like, you know, building Mountain Goat and doing these things is also kind of self-serving in the sense that, you know, I love this stuff. And like, you know, Christopher McCandless says in, in Into the Wild, as he's starving in Alaska, he writes, you know, happiness is only real when shared. And I really resonate with that quote. It's like, you could go out on a hike by yourself and it'll be fun. 
it'll be a great time. And there's always a time and place for that. But then when you go out on a hike or a project with a group of people, it's not fun. It's life-giving. It's rewarding. And so, you know, with Mountain Goat, I think like, what are the, what are the projects? Who are the people? What are the things that, that I want to do? And if there are folks who kind of resonate with this, can we build a community around it? And that's kind of what it's become. What are your needs at Mountain Goat Movement? I know that you are bootstrapping this. You have big adventures planned that young people can join all over the world. Those aren't cheap. What are what are some of the biggest needs? <laughs> um, the biggest need is funding, of course. Um, so this is this is totally bootstrapped. Uh, very grassroots. Um, a, a good example would be uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we we did a day of adventure for 300 students at Rockland Lake State Park in New York. And uh, talking about bootstrapping, my girlfriend and I, who do, I am the only full-time employee for, for Mountain Goat. Everyone else is a volunteer, supporter, friend, family. Uh, my girlfriend and I put together this event for 300 kids, which was like a pretty daunting task. Dude, that is... Um, insane 300 kids <laughs> yeah 300 kids that oh we did like my gosh, um, am i gonna have a panic attack just thinking about that. it was it was uh it was great it was, it was very successful but it was terrifying and you know we basically the way we function is we had like adventure stations so kids got to kayak hike bike you know we had field games like it was it was a one-day event just to get guys outside and do some some fun things but you know at two o'clock in the morning the night before uh my girlfriend and i claire were writing handwritten notes to every kid uh before and you're like this is crazy it's two o'clock we're writing these handwritten notes and the event starts in four hours we have to be there so it's it's totally bootstrapped which is great and mountain goat will forever be grassroots like i will as a leader i will forever be boots on the ground like I want to be with kids. I want to be in the trenches. Like I want to experience what they experience and, and hopefully support them um, in meaningful ways. So I would say like the greatest need for mountain goat as we continue to build um, is funding, of course. And one of the ways that we've been able to do that is um, some of our projects, like the Hudson river project, as an example, are, um, unique in the sense that it's not just about the adventure. There's also a curriculum built in. And so that allows me to pitch to different school foundations that can support students and pay for them to get on these trips. Another avenue of funding right now has been connecting with outdoor brands and helping share their mission through our programming. So uh, Grail, for example, they make water filters. Um, we use their water filters uh, for the entire Hudson River expedition. We're going to use their water filters on Kilimanjaro uh, when we go back up in June um, because filtering water is always an issue on Kili with uh, porters and clients. And then they, you know, kind of help fund a couple students for these things. We worked with like Cavu, um, who's our, probably our number one partner. And we kind of share some of the mission of Cavu through our projects. We actually, uh, I'm Greek and Costa Rican and Irish and very weird mix. And I, I apologize if I'm going off on a tangent here, but um with Cavu, we did a really cool project uh, in March this past year where I taught literature at the high school level. And the first text that I ever taught was the Odyssey, which is the original hero story, right? Every adventurer needs to read the Odyssey. 
And, you know, the, the short end of, of the hero's journey is like, you know, a young person goes out, sets sail from a place of comfort, conquers a, a metaphorical or literal monster or demon, comes back anew, transformed, and is a better member for his or her community. And so the Odyssey recounts the hero's quest. Well, I have, for the last 10 years, um, have been traveling to Greece, Costa Rica, and Ireland to find family without use of the internet. Um, so in Ireland, for example, I wild camped down the whole coast of Ireland and basically asked strangers on the street if they knew family members related to to my folks. And it culminated with me meeting family on the Celtic Sea after uh, two weeks of wild camping. And so I wanted to do that same thing in Greece. And the best part about going to Greece is I taught the Odyssey, Odysseus, the first adventurer of all time, in, in some sense, uh, leaves from his place of comfort, Ithaca, which is one of 2,000 islands off the coast of Greece. And strangely enough, um, my family ties are to this small island of Ithaca. And so Cavu, um, I pitched this project to Cavu, and we went out with a film team, and um, we made a 10 to 12-minute short film, which comes out later this year, oh, wow. about... That not only the importance of like, you know, following the hero's journey, which we all do through our adventures, but also trying to discover um, elements about ourselves beyond that. And so for this project in particular, I did a multi-sport adventure throughout all of Greece, culminating in Ithaca. And once I got to Ithaca, a very small island, um, I was able to connect with 10 extended family members who, some of whom we didn't even know existed. And it was totally epic. And we're kind of using that film to showcase not only the importance of like adventure, but also curiosity, going out and doing something based off of an idea and executing on it. But the greatest need, and I'm sorry for digressing. <laughs> I, got, I got pretty excited there. Oh, um, that's a great story. Thank you. We, uh, yes, funding. Um, and we can do that through like marketing initiatives. We also have a student scholarship that we just launched a couple weeks ago, actually. It's called Carabiner Collective. And Carabiner Collective was started by um, a group of educators and explorers, one of whom uh, named Allison Fleece, who runs a female adventure company called Woe Travel. So we launched Carabiner Collective and Carabiner Collective is a scholarship for students and those with um, financial disadvantages that might prevent them from experiencing adventures. And so I started, I'm starting to fundraise for the student scholarship so that we can get as many kids outside as possible because we know that the benefits to experiential learning are never ending. Beyond uh, funding, looking for, for support and help. And it could be as simple as like, you know, telling a friend, hey, have you heard of Mountain Goat? Um, you know, their mission is to bring primarily young people outside and connect them to inspiring explorers, scientists, educators, storytellers could come in the, the form of creative support. So for example, uh, we were very fortunate. The American Alpine club um, wrote an article about mountain goat this past year um, in their grassroots section. Hmm. And strangely enough, uh, there's a guy, Miles Marinas, who lives out, in Boulder, Colorado, I never knew this guy. And he read this article and he reached out to me, cold called me. And um, his side project right now is he's uh, building a, a coffee company called Ramble on Roasting. 
and ramble on roasting appeals to the everyday adventurer and so he's trying to get ramble on roasting into different cafes and have hikers climbers outdoor enthusiasts meet and share coffee and miles reached out and he said hey man i would i would love to make a, a coffee for for mountain goat and we can have 50 percent of those proceeds support students we actually made a green tea. I'm not, I'm not a coffee drinker. I'd probably explode because I'm already like a, a black lab puppy with excitement. <laughs> so, so, so we made a green, we made a green tea and uh, it's called mountain goat green tea. And it's cool. Like we use mountain goat green tea at different events and, you know, it, it brings attention to his grassroots organization. It supports mine. And, you know, there, there are a multitude of ways to be creative. Ultimately mountain goat is for the community. And so anyone who cares about mental health, adventure, giving back, you know, building meaning into our lives, storytelling service, all of these touch points are related to Mountain Goat. So I would love to connect with anyone and everyone um, who wants to be a part of of our small but impactful and special community. Well, Greg, oh man, this was awesome. Jeez, thank you so much for coming on and just kind of sharing the stoke. That's that's the kind of uh, stories I love to feature now. Folks that not only love adventure, but are trying to have a bigger impact through adventure. And and not just accidentally, but but being intentional about that. And definitely instilling adventure in the next generation. Because we, you know, we need it. We need it. It's harder and harder, it seems like, as we get more, quote, technologically advanced to break away. Uh, it's hard for hard for me personally sometimes, you know. The algorithm the algorithm is strong, and uh, it, can, mm. it can keep us keep <laughs> us uh, too engaged too often. So, uh, man, this was awesome. Thank you so much. No, uh, thank you so much, Mason. I'm beyond grateful for having connected with you. It's it's moments like this that allow us to get the good word out and continue to build uh, this community. Um, I I also I apologize if I. If I went off on different tangents, I'm I'm just so excited and so honored to be a part of this amazing podcast and the people who've come on and to be hosted by you, Mason. So again, I, I really, I really appreciate this and, and know that the stories that you're sharing have reached the shores of Jersey City, not just for <laughs> not just not just for adults, but also for many young people. Um, and so I we are immensely grateful. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash Podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.